You're listening to the Shooting Scoots podcast, the Flames of War podcast brought to you by Breakthrough Assault in association with Battlefield Hobbies. My name is Fez, and I'm joined today by Ben. Hello, guys. And a special star guest, Mr. Mike Hall. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, uh, as, uh, as I jokingly said in our chat, you're now going to be my favourite guest on two different podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking at it. it was, uh, last time we chatted, it was like two years ago almost to the day. Yeah. Well, yeah. what was that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that probably would have been... Wow, I'm just trying to think without trying to put too much oh, dead air. Was that the Pacific? Uh, no, no, I was I was not at Battlefront during Pacific. Uh, hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. maybe Berlin or something like that, possibly. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. I think we did do one in Berlin, didn't we? God. Yeah. yeah. Time uh, flies. Yeah, it does. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> so, obviously, we got Mike on because uh, Mike, that sneaky little little guy over there in New Zealand, he uh, he wrote a book. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's part of, And it's part of two quite important books that people have been waiting for for a while because we've hit the Eastern Front. Yeah. Yeah, we brought the uh, mid-war to a full circle. So, the first one is obviously, it's called Iron Cross, and obviously the other one's called Enemy of the Gates. Do you not think about calling it a cross of iron, just to uh, keep the movie theme going for both of them? <laughs> yeah, that that, that would, was on the list, for sure. <laughs> uh, but but we ended up naming the um, uh, Iron Cross before the other one, so, um, so yeah, kind of was the other way around. So, yeah. Fair enough. Obviously, <laughs> Enemy of the Gates of Far better film? I don't know, that's a fair statement, actually. Oh, well, They're both definitely I mean, film. <laughs> they are. Yes. I don't know, I think Cross of Iron is, I don't know, more epic, I suppose? More... It is. I mean, the problem I have with Cross of Iron is, is there's lots of... Well, I've said there's lots of mistakes in Enemy of the Gates as well, actually, I would say. But, yeah. you know, it's like all the Russian troops are actually speaking Yugoslavian. Oh, right. Because they're actually <laughs> Yugoslavian army soldiers. <laughs> that's close so, uh, enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not that I, I will be honest. Not that I know that she's speaking Yugoslavian. I know <laughs> this because of Wikipedia. Speak, speak Yugoslavian or Russian? Yeah, he's <laughs> right all the time. Uh, so obviously, uh, we're going to start off with uh, because obviously talking about cross, uh, cross of iron, uh, iron cross, iron cross. Yeah, iron I'm going to confuse myself now for the entire thing. Great. Yep. Um, we're going to briefly hit on Enemy of the Gates because although obviously you didn't write it, obviously you were around, and that was being. Mm-hmm. Uh, Done, and then the bit I'm most looking forward to, we're going to hit the cool city flight stuff at the end and get some thoughts on that. Yeah. So, um, just really quickly, uh, Liz, you're going to just start and work our way through, and I have some questions going in there. Uh, some hard hitting questions, hopefully. Oh, no. Because I have now woken up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let me just get us um, some coffee here. <laughs> the first, the first, the only, obviously, special rules, very similar to. Um, Dak, and there's going to be quite a few similarities, I think, in that, which is say, which also, in all fairness, was is normally the case with mid-war. Um, yeah. The snipers being back, I was actually quite surprised. I did not think these guys might come back, and obviously we've got the sniper special rules, which are vague, fairly similar. They're they do play a, a bit differently now. Um, they're in the old days, they would usually show up and kind of stay stationary and stuff like that. But we kind of with the new city fighting rules and uh, at the back end of the book. Um, We'll probably get to this in a, in a bit, but the, the necessity of city fighting is you need 
to be able to move and some dynamic kind of stuff. Plus, it's more cinematic as well. So mm. we wanted to make sure that snipers could get up, they could move, they could do their thing. Um, with the uh, addition of cards to, to version 4, you can kind of really uh, carve out a good, unique space for them. So they're not, um, you know, they can't really... Um, move and shoot and that kind of stuff. So they're kind of a little bit better with, um, oh, apologies. The dog has decided to add his thoughts to <laughs> snipers. Um, yeah, so, so the snipers are quite, um, they, they, we've just made sure that they, um, were in the book, mainly because they're just kind of iconic because of the movies that we chose. Um, they're, <laughs> they're very, um, it would be silly to have a book named any enemy at the gates and not have snipers in them. The one thing we have done is we've made sure that they are pretty generic. So they're not like the warrior um, guys uh, of, in the old days. Um, uh, we have we did, there are some command cards coming out for uh, to kind of get Zaitsev back, um, but uh, Koenig was always kind of a bit of a fabrication. So we made sure we found um, his own. Um, we found an actual uh, German sniper. He wasn't in Stalingrad, but he um, he was able to. Um, uh, rack up a ton of kills on the Eastern Front at the same time. So we, had, we wanted to make sure that there was enough there to make snipers interesting. They um, they could do stuff that was kind of fun. They were a threat. Uh, generally speaking, they, they have kind of the same stuff. They still pin people down, and they can uh, ambush and yeah, have a no man's landing and stuff, or no man's land and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. That's cool. They, they say they do the fun. I did probably didn't actually say it, did, didn't do a very good job of this. Obviously, cross, um, Iron Cross is it's really nineteen forty two up to the end of the Battle of Stalingrad. Yeah, so we've the books are being designed uh, with another pair of books, the uh, Kursk set of books. So one of the things that the bit, one of the most common bits of feedback with Midwar was that there wasn't a, an easy divide between nineteen forty two equipment and nineteen forty three equipment. Mm-hmm. So often when you went to a tournament, like an open tournament, you would uh, you'd bring your uh, I, I don't know, like a um, Crusader army or something like that, and then you immediately go up against the um, Panther Company or something. And so there was always, or Tigers and stuff. So there was always that kind of late 43 divide. So um, Africa Core, the book, kind of straddles that um, divide uh, out of necessity. Um, but these Eastern Front books, we wanted to make it very distinct. So it meant, it would mean that you had. Um, a place for the early Panzers, uh, things like the early Panzer threes, uh, five centimeters shorts and stuff, um, were, would be relevant against forces that are in enemy at the gates. So we wanted to make sure that there was a way, an easy way for tournament organizers to say, you know what, we're going to do a 1942 event, so just grab your Iron Cross and enemy at the gates, and away we go. Um, and that way, you could kind of make sure that you're not getting that really heavy equipment showing up against 1943 lists. But the other, the other thing that we were able to do uh, by designing all four of these books simultaneously is we were able to make sure that they are, in fact, balanced against each other. So you could take your 1942 lists to a tournament, to an open mid-war tournament, and still face 43 equipment and have a fighting chance in that you probably have more points available to you. So, for example, your Panzer III lights and stuff like that will be balanced against a uh, like a Panther. So the Panthers were always a little bit um, cheap in the old days. So now they're going to be more appropriately pointed. I was going to say I, I don't envy the person who has to balance Panthers in a hundred points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely it's 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 my current challenge that Phil and I are working on. But um, but we did want to make sure that uh, all four books kind of were. Uh, uh, 
still relevant. So like in an open format, if you go to a mid-war tournament, you should still be able to take your Iron Cross Panzers and still feel competitive, even even if there is you know, 1943 uh, Soviet German lists out there. Cool, cool. I'll take it, and just obviously game about special rules, as I did get to in the intro. Um, cool. Obviously you've got the new um, obviously rocket artillery rules, and basically we're going to go with the, basically the Team Yankee, effectively the Team Yankee rules for rockets now? Yeah, so rockets are, they've got, um, they're, they're, they'll be just like your regular artillery, but they do have a salvo template, so that's new. So um, before we just had the normal uh, small template, but the salvo template's uh, a bit bigger. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and, and they're just really, uh, they'll be a little bit more efficient at swatting a large section of troops. So um, uh, conveniently placed and timed to deal with Strokovi, as it happens. Um, but yeah, so it's a slightly larger template than normal, and um, yeah, otherwise they just operate as normal artillery, ranging in, that kind of stuff. Cool. Okay, so um, so we've got uh, four lists in here, as you say, um, kind of say obviously with the, with the divide. Um, two, inf- two, two tank lists, two infantry lists. Now, I'm going to be honest, we're probably not going to cover too much on the tank lists, because they're not too dissimilar from um, uh, from Dark. Right, they're, yeah, they're virtually a... Uh, port over from from Africa Corps. It's the same. It's the same equipment. Um, and even they are gray, one of the though. things <laughs> they are gray. Yes. Um, yes. They, <laughs> they, uh, I add value to every podcast I attend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a section um, that I wanted to do for this book. We we didn't quite have the space for it, but you could effectively run any of these Iron Cross forces as kind of like Tunisian. Era mm. uh, Panzer forces. So um, they they in um, North Africa they started getting things like Nebelwerfers and and um, and even Stugs and stuff. So um, it's uh, yeah it, they're they're these are happening at the same time. In fact, the uh, the troops that are are arriving in Tunisia were earmarked to go to Russia anyway. So um, and just got diverted south. So they're effectively the same the same forces. So yeah, the tank the tank companies are going to be very similar. If you're a if you're a DAC player. Uh, they'll they'll play very similarly. The only thing that'll change the most is your are your support units. The um, and I think I think um, I want to say Pete said at the open day there's going to be was it a PDF or something an online article about how to convert over. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things and um, a lot of ways of using this book for North Africa if you wanted to. The the, the other the other thing that we um uh, haven't quite touched on much is the command card pack will have a lot of stuff for taking trained rifle companies for example um which were very similar to the marsh companies in in the old north africa books um and being able to take some of those unique strange things that did show up at the very end of the north african campaign that's right um you know we've not seen the command cards yet so <laughs> but, yeah <laughs> uh, unfortunately um oh. I, I mean, I, I have obviously we know we know some of the KV ones from the open day, which oh, like, yep. cause platoons to run away because they're just there. <laughs> um, yeah, but I had heard this. Yeah, I had heard like there's a I believe there's an SS card and like a Luftwaffe field division card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of those. Being one of the one of the interesting things, well, one of the challenges of anything Eastern Front is just the size of it. There's so much stuff. Um, in North Africa, you're just dealing with like a division or two. Um, when you get to North, or when you get to, to uh, um, the East Front, it's just hundreds and hundreds. So um, 
we really did lean pretty uh, hard into the command cards to give us a bit more of that variety, a little bit more of that flavor. So you'll see things like uh, the SS um, will be in there and um, in that the Fluff of Field Company, as well as some other interesting things that are actual forces. There's a lot more build cards, um, relatively speaking, in, in the... Um, in those command cards, and there are in any of the other, any of the other sets. Uh, I, I know. Uh, sorry, Duncan, one of our co-hosts, is kind of hoping the uh, the Das Reich uh, make an appearance for the. Uh, uh, no, it's Das Reich for the T for the T thirty four company. All oh, right, yeah, that, that's a that's a Chris Gare one. So yeah, you oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he can he can rest assured it's it's definitely coming. Oh, awesome! <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, the uh, the. The Kursk, Kursk stuff um, just kind of grew parallel with the, with these books. So, mm. um, but definitely that's because that's the other thing. Like at Kursk, there was a ton of different um, types of Panzer units and stuff like that. Whereas this this these books, the Iron Cross books, um, kind of doubled down on the infantry side of things. So you've got things like the Croatian Regiment because um, yeah. because of reasons. <laughs> um, uh, you've got a lot of different things that are very unique because it was a very infantry-focused fight um, in Stalingrad. But you know the, the Panzers were doing their thing as well. But um, but we really wanted to kind of uh, let infantry be um, kind of brought out to the front because the Germans just don't have um, they didn't have much depth in their infantry um, bench. So now they do. It's um, no, it's, it's definitely something that I think uh, people. I felt was missing from Dak, and I, I dare say if it, if Dak had got the same treatment that the Desert Rats book did, we probably would have had it. But there was no real point doing it because this was coming. That's a fair yeah. statement. Yeah, the, one of the the trickiest thing with any of these books is just making sure we don't basically double up on a book. Um, we want to make sure that each book has um, a relevant and interesting uniqueness to it. Um, so if, if we had put a lot of these kind of large units and stuff, these Panzer Grenadier units and the, and, the, and the Grenadier units, which we knew were going to be play an important part in Stalingrad, would be kind of rubbing Peter to pay Paul. So we wanted to make sure that um, there was enough uh, interest, interesting stuff to come up for the Stalingrad book. And it's, it's funny you should mention the tech unit. We actually I was actually talking about that today with uh, with Fez because uh, there's a YouTube channel I've been following. He does a lot. Of, he does a lot of documentaries and. Uh, a lot of research himself and um, looking stuff, especially how the Soviet art vaults have been opened, and historians have been able to go through the, the Soviet archives. Oh uh, yeah, uh, yep. and getting getting <laughs> a new perspective of things. But uh, one of them was a book on the on the Croatian regiment, uh, which oh, I did yeah. look to buy, but it's like seventy pounds to get to the UK. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he said it's the best book he's ever. It's the best one of the best historical books he's ever read. Um, yeah. But I'm like, I don't know. Seventy for me for seventy quid, it better be. Uh, yeah. yeah, come with some benefits. That's more than the army is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that was a project that I've been thinking of. So that's a cool thing getting a card because um, they're, they're the only non-German unit actually in Stalingrad. In yeah, uh, yeah. To, to my knowledge, yeah, they're, they're yeah. All, all, on the flanks. There were Italians, yeah. and Romanians, Hungarians, yeah. but uh, apart from the Russian yeah. ones, of course. Well, okay, yeah, apart oh, from yeah. the Russians in the, in the Wehrmacht. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think I don't know. What, I think some of the Italians or something might got trapped after the encirclement. But you know, for the actual proper, the proper mm. fighting, so to speak, proper fighting, not that being encircled isn't a proper fight. Yeah, that sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> you're not fighting properly. You're surrounded. That's why paratroopers <laughs> aren't proper soldiers. <laughs> um, don't tell them that. Yeah, no. It was... <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. So yeah, the the infantry though. So obviously. 
if you've kind of seen German Infantry Cups before, we've got the, the Panzer Grenadiers, which um, look very similar to kind of late war, I guess, because they, I don't know, they don't really change too much after after early war, is it? They kind of, the update, get smaller units, and that's about it. Yeah. And this is right at that. This is right at that time when they're starting to switch from that early war organization of quite large motorized divisions to. Um, they're not quite Panzer Grenadier companies at this point. They're still known as motorized infantry, but um, we just went with the recognizable name for this yeah. particular unit. Um, it also means that um, uh, when we do Kursk, we don't have to do another foot-mounted um, Panzer Grenadier unit. We can just say use this one yeah. for both. The, the the organization are the same, yeah. And, and it's, it's one thing I, I should say, obviously, with the organization chart, you're just talking about doing this with Kursk, obviously, uh, on the the bit where it says you, where you can get uh, support formations, it does actually mention DAC and uh, Ghost Panzers. Yeah. So I'm guessing, obviously, if anyone might be a, an idea what the book game might be called. And uh, the other one was, obviously, you, yep. can also have Itali- <laughs> you can also have Italian formations as well. Yeah. So... Um, so- so one of the interesting things about that, we kind of went back and forth on how strict we wanted to be on the, those Italians. We thought maybe we could call out a few platoons that would be appropriate to take. Um, but one of the things that we kind of realized was once you start adding in things like M1441s and stuff like that, you're kind of effectively fielding a North Africa version of it anyway. So there was there was no real combination that was that was not plausible. And so we thought, well... It'd be a lot easier to just keep it open, and um, and let people kind of uh, self-police their their historical lists if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. There wasn't one. There wasn't a, a list in there that was particularly egregious. Um, you just have to have a bit of creativity in terms of um, yes. Uh, if I have a bunch of these Panzer Grenadiers operating with some M14s, obviously this fight, this formation is is in Tunisia and not on the Eastern Front. Um, similarly, people can. Um, do the what ifs of what, what if the Italians had actually sent something larger than an L640 to <laughs> to Russia, um, and and play play those those hypotheticals as well. There wasn't really any reason um, necessarily to uh, put a hard no <laughs> uh, on on your uh, options. So uh, yeah, we kept it we kept that open for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, if you're going the other way and you're using these as Tunisian lists, you kind of then want the Italian. Unlimited Italian options, so yeah. So there's, yeah. If you're trying to make the list work both ways, that does make sense. Um, obviously, yep. uh, at the open day, obviously, I might have mentioned as we're now talking about support. Um, mm-hmm. It was mentioned obviously going to have Hungarian and Romanian lists at some point in an online form. Uh, would they be allowed as allies? Would that be some sort of thing that'd be mentioned or? Yeah, I think um, definitely for these books that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, the uh, the uh, I know Wayne is furiously uh, working on the unit cards. I'm not sure on the specifics with those ones, but um, all, he's working on all three of the minor nations, including the Finns. And oh, okay. um, and so one of one of the things that we're really excited about is is being able to release those guys, and you can kind of basically fight all of these 1942 battles pretty pretty thoroughly. So the Romanians are operating south of the uh, of Stalingrad, and the Hungarians are north, and the Italians are around it. So um, it makes very, very perfect sense to uh, have a Hungarian and Romanian allies in your forces. So um, I think I think that'll just be a, a quick um, uh, update. With That'll probably come with the uh, minor 
nations saying uh, how to field them with existing books. Um, so that they're available both ways. I was going to say, obviously, because yeah, they, they just tried to keep the Romanians and Hungarians apart, didn't they? Because they obviously <laughs> yeah, were actually they, hated enemies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they stuck the Italians in between. Um, <laughs> that didn't work out so well. <laughs> no. It's um, what was the book I was reading? Uh, was it Battle for Budapest, a hundred days in World War World War Two? Uh, oh, right. There's a bit. There's a bit. Um, an American ambassador's talking to. I think I want to say it's a, a hung, it's either Hungarian general or ambassador, and it kind of goes through like you know. So uh, you know who you know who are your enemies? They go are Romanians. So who are you allied with? The Romanians. <laughs> yeah. Who's, who, who's your leader? An admiral. But you have no you have no border to a sea. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's just like what's, what's, just, what's the yeah, problem here <laughs> yeah just like this guy being very confused going everything you said does not make any sense <laughs> that you see make out of it so we'll go just look with you translator yeah. and <laughs> yeah I don't know we have seen he's probably thinking is this American an idiot or what's going <laughs> yeah. on does he not hear what I'm saying <laughs> yeah. uh, cool so yeah so um, yeah as he generally say he's you know, kind of I don't want to say what you expect. That sounds a bit disrespectful. But obviously, you got the you got the MG teams, which um, I, I'm, yeah, if you know what an MG team, you know what an MG team is. Um, yeah. Same with the, same with the mortars. Obviously, some some support. So I mean, it's good actually. The Germans are getting the I say the proper infantry. Um, mm-hmm. You've got the um, the the one unit which um, I know I, I've talked about a lot with the guys because I think it's going to be really good in the city fight. The um, the infantry guns also seem really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. R- Brutal one just blasting away a whole room of Im- of infantry. Yeah, the um one of the things that we, we the the fifteen centimeter guns in particular were um uh very useful in that sort of format. One of the things that it's always stuck with me in my head was it was a picture of of a it was a I think it was in France somewhere. Uh, there was a um one of those self propelled fifteen centimeter guns and that big box chassis on a Panzer one or whatever it was. Just taking out uh, the building. Yeah. Yeah. It hits the corner of a building and that entire thing comes down. Yeah. Um it just it's stuck with me. I saw that footage, I don't know, like twenty years ago and it still sticks with me to, to this day. So one of the things when we did get to the fifteen centimeter gun, um I was uh, that just kinda came to the top again. I was like, we have to make sure that <laughs> this thing still has the old school um uh, kind of that bunker buster sort of if it hits a room it just does a ton of damage maybe not exactly the way it used to but it needs to have that feel that um, when you when that when when you see some Germans trying to roll that up around the street corner you should probably get out of that room <laughs> um, yeah so. yeah I know I know the video you're talking about and yeah it did uh, it's I think it stuck with me as well I remember watching that when I was like what's a kid was it, about I've, 10, 11 I've got an entire early world German army waiting to be built just to field that very yeah. unit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so iconic and so so cool. <laughs> so yeah, we wanted to make sure that uh, that those fifteen those fifteen centimeters were doing what they need to do, uh, um, and that is basically destroy buildings, yeah, which we, we now provide. Now, um, <laughs> on subjects of uh, destroying buildings, obviously you got the the normal grenadiers, which again. Mm-hmm. I guess that ten, they're not technically grenadiers at this point, are they? That was a was that after Curse they got that title. Yeah, they're starting to get um, <clears throat> most most of them are still infantry divisions and infantry companies and, and things. So yeah, the, the grenadiers again, we just went with kind of a, a, re, a ready um, name that everyone can kind of recognize. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a it was a um, 
Hitler gave it to them as a sort of battle honor that they were called Grenadiers, I want to say. Yeah. I'm sure it was after Kurt. It was after, no, coming after Kurt, they lost. Um, yeah, <laughs> anyway, after something. Um, yep. But the, the cool thing over here, which I'm really glad's back, and uh, this is slightly different from what we'll talk about the Soviet ones, because you can actually have two between, you can actually these, you can have an entire army made for these guys. The Assault uh, Pioneer platoon. Yeah. Um, yeah, so these, these guys, these guys were definitely, um, uh, had to, had to make a, had to make a comeback. One of the interesting things in the, in the old, um, in the old version two days, I think, or maybe even version one days with the old Storm, yeah, it was the version one days, um, you could take a platoon of these guys and they could kind of help you out and stuff like that. But the more I re- researched into Assault Pioneer units, they were definitely full companies um and so i wanted to kind of give them the ability you the ability to take a full unit of them um because they really did like they had to have almost a um, full battalion of them to take a, a a um some of those factory buildings and stuff so um yeah i wanted to make sure that they you could take as many or as little as you want and still take a straight up regular grenadier unit if you want but um but your combat platoons if you will um you can Take either grenadiers or assault pioneers. So make sure yeah. that you have that flexibility. Now, see, uh, just, obviously, the grenade. Uh, to go back a second, the grenadiers have just got the old, the older formation, so they're, uh, they're a lot bigger. You, the the nine bases were opposed to the seven, which obviously they will be yep. later on. Uh, the yep. assault pioneers, though, one of my favourite bits here, and I've, I think uh, Fez has seen it for the for the first time. Uh, the deadly assault. So they hit on a two plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So. Um, so this has got a story to it. Um, one of the things, I mean, other than the obvious, uh, those massive bundles of grenades and sharpened um, shovels and all that kind of stuff, that uh, that was uh, which, which which alone is enough justification to give them a really good assault. Um, one of the things Phil and I kind of hit on about halfway through the um, the testing of the city fight rules was uh, SMGs really need to give you um, something in assault. So um, the way, uh, well, massed SMGs, I should say. When um, there's a reason why they went into bit buildings with SMGs and stuff is just, you just can't wield necessarily rifles up and down hallways and around. So they're really, they're really quite a handy and very close range kind of kind of um, uh, weapon. So we wanted to give those units, any units that uh, that has SMGs. Um, not only are you getting that really good moving rate of fire sort of thing, but it's super short range. You might as well give it a little bit of a boost in the actual close-to-close hand-to-hand combat. So you'll see in um, the Assault Pioneer, yeah, that definitely is reflected in the Deadly Assault uh, rating of 2+, but also the Soviet uh, SMG guys will have that as well as you get, yeah. as you get a little further. So, yeah, so, that's, that's, that's SMGs becoming more of an important part of your assault combat. And I mean, these guys are pretty deadly. So we've got so you've got seven SMG bases and uh, two flamethrower bases when they're maxed out. You kept with the option of a um, HMG. Um, yeah. yeah, these guys, as you can see, obviously, it's Stalingrad. They're clearing out buildings. Obviously, units get tweaked for that. Um, you know, obviously, the Soviets did it a bit more. I think a bit mm-hmm. more flexible than Germans on that one. I want to say could be wrong, or well, at least did it first. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and this just yeah, these guys are going to clear out buildings pretty. Pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it, it does mean it, and because one of the things we found was we people were more likely to take like a Strelkov company or a Grenadier com- platoon to clear buildings, and it just seemed odd. So like uh, with like assault pioneers and SMG companies sitting in reserve or 
uh, in the second wave sort of a thing. So we wanted to make sure that um, that they were actually the ones doing the business, that they were more efficient at it. So. Oh, yeah. they they definitely are going to be good, and obviously we'll, we'll hit on the Soviet one in a minute because that's a unit <laughs> I'm quite excited about. Yeah. Um, obviously, and um, going to go in for support. Obviously, we've got Tigers, which um, obviously this book obviously would also be covering Leningrad. Obviously, they had a look. That was the first Tiger company. Was it Tiger? Yeah, the yeah. Five hundred first and the five hundred second. Oh, sorry, yeah, five hundred two, five hundred first are up north. Five hundred. Third, I believe, is further south. I think don't think they arrived in the southern area until uh, around Kursk. Same with the five hundred fifth, I think. Yeah, so I think Leningrad definitely had them in forty two. Yeah, yeah. Which well, is weird. the northern the northern front was definitely the first to get them. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. Which I never understood because it's like I say, you're putting all your effort and resources into the south, <laughs> and yet you can send your new wonder weapon to the quiet section. Yeah, Ish, that, that is a siege, not not a, not a mobile battle, a siege. <laughs> sure, yeah, okay. <laughs> I think one of the things that they uh, they really hadn't proved themselves to be particularly um, good for Blitzkrieg at that point because they were pretty nice. slow. So the um, so the idea was that they were going to hold the north as as hard as they possibly could, um, and then just kick the door in down south and just. They expected, and they, and to an extent, they did get the Germans anyway. Um, a, quite a, 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 a fast-paced advanced that um, that would have left Tigers probably behind the lines pretty pretty quick. Although when Chris came around, they found out the value of the Tiger as a breakthrough tank. Um, talking about well, not breakthrough tanks. Um, <laughs> you got, this, you got the, the Stug. Now I'm not 100%. This is probably a rule I probably just missed. Uh, but obviously, well, there's two things I found very interesting with this. So, so you got the the fact that it doesn't counterattack very well, which obviously is pretty accurate because that is one of the downsides to assault guns is when infantry you get around them, they're not good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's the fact that this, these are fearless. Yeah. So one of the the interesting things, the way the uh, our system works, there's a lot of reasons that um, the Stug. Uh, would generally have a lot of three plus motivation uh, abilities. So they're caught. They're um, they're uh, they had uh, what is it um, uh, for the fatherland, which would give them a three plus in um, in their uh, um, oh, sorry third Reich would be their last hand would be a three plus. They have protected ammo, which means that they remount on the three plus. Um, so there really wasn't much left at that point to make it. Just to, to make them confident with a bunch of other other things, so, so there there would have been like three three thing three distinct changes. <laughs> so yeah. at the end of the day, we thought, you know what, <laughs> they, they 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 basically are fearless in in every way that it counts. So especially the remount and the last stand. So um, we just made them fearless to to clean that up and then to and then give them their counter attack of five plus, which um which they should have. Yeah, I yeah. guess that is one of the things you'd have. You'd have a big long list of yeah, you know, it's four plus, except in basically every other situation where it's either three plus or five plus. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so yeah, yeah. There, there comes a point where you're just like yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just cut. Let's just let's let's tidy this up. It looks a bit yeah strange, but um, but yeah, that'll that'll be how that goes. Yeah, yeah is that, that that is fair enough. That is one I was kind of curious with, and obviously, um, yeah, it just I mean, it does make sense. And they were. Well, I guess also historically they were pretty, they were pretty um, 
Yeah, the the um Whitman was in one for a while. So they were they were quite a um I mean that's SS, but they 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 did feel like their tanks were a lot more um survivable than just a regular panzer, which really was not not scientifically true. Um maybe uh philosophically true. But the <laughs> they they definitely had a, a very high number of uh, of kills. One of the interesting things I was looking in I was looking for warriors for the to go with the, the card pack for this book. And um, one of the things that really stood out to me in all of this mid-war period was most of the panzer races that weren't tigers or were uh, in stugs. And I just didn't quite understand why that was and, what, and um, until Phil pointed out that actually where they were always positioned where the um, uh, Soviet attack counterattacks would be coming. So they were always in a position, in a defensive position, to uh, just light up a bunch of T-34s or T-70s and it's, get tons and tons of kills. There was, um, I mean, it, yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense, especially uh, one of the uh, books I've been kind of uh, reading recently talks about how the, but one of the ideas we feel about becoming a German panzer might be wrong, and especially like Rommel, he, he, he his panzers were basically told not to engage British tanks in the desert. Right. If you saw British tanks, you were to retreat to the infantry, who would then kill them with anti-tank guns. And let their mm. tanks go through. So in in comparison, it looks like the tank crews actually had lower kill rates than the the anti tank guns and the uh, flak eighty right. and that type of thing. Yep. Uh, obviously, they weren't didn't keep records of anti tank gun crews killing tanks as much as mm. <laughs> um, yep. tank crews not as glorious. But yeah, he's just saying actually the tanks were were basically you don't hit infantry because that's that's the whole point of Blitzkrieg. You don't yeah. you know you try to drive around everything. You don't go through. Through the hard point, you try and uh, try and avoid it. Yeah, exactly. And the stugs um, were always that uh, wall. <laughs> yeah, and the, yeah, especially yeah, especially as they also a lot more. Uh, also the battalions with attached the infantry, say to defend. So yeah, I mean, that makes sense. But also mm-hmm. stug life, stug life, stugs are cool. Yep. They're they're almost as good as slutty pants. Slutty pants. AT gun wise. So one thing I don't know. I, I say I I don't want to question. Mm-hmm. Negative Nancy here. Uh, so we've got well now well I I refer to as the the, the pack forty. It's obviously now it's called the seven point five uh, centimeter tank hunter machine. Yep. They seem a little cheap. <laughs> yeah. Um. They. They. Um. They can be. Uh. Very very. Good in times and sometimes not so much. The um one of the things that we found with anti tank guns was they just never. It's it's a classic version three issue of anti tank guns rarely get a shot if if they're seen. Um, they usually get swamped by a bunch of lighter tanks or fifty cals and stuff like that. So just trying to get them in a right kind of Goldilocks zone between being way too powerful and no one takes them because. You can do things more efficiently with a with a um, a Pack 38 or a um, or a Martyr. So yeah, that was a that's a difficult one to place. Um, but we definitely felt that it was it seemed the right point value when we finally settled on it because of the deals with like mass tanks coming at at you and things like that. You need to be able to put down like KVs and stuff um, a bit more efficiently. So yeah, they're definitely um, they're definitely I don't want to say price to clear, but uh, pretty <laughs> close to it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, as I, I, I say, I was just when I was looking at the compared to the the five centimeter, like for one more point per gun, that extra yeah. three ATs and plus one firepower is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, I bet, um, but I, I guess, but then that's one of the things we say. If, sorry, if you have got the KV, obviously all the other anti-tank guns here on this list can't really hurt the KV. Um, yeah. And and even the five centimeter is going to be struggling to penetrate a uh, a T thirty four range. Yeah. So. T thirty four is at range proof, and also Valentine's as well. Um, they they're kind of that that just at that right sweet spot where you know you don't really have that the old uh, high rate of fire on the five centimeter gun to kind of break through that. But I, yeah, so. and so that, that's not, that's another one I want to, to cover. Now, I'm learning this was sort of mm-hmm. covered probably when version four came out. Um, obviously, a lot of the AT guns are dropping to rate of fire two, which used to be rate of fire three. Is that a new design design philosophy, or is it? Um... Yeah, I think they're just trying to tighten all, all those guns up to a, a kind of a more consistent uh, rate of fire for those for those guns because it kind of got a, it was a bit difficult with version three because some guns had two, some guns had three. And you put that mm. same gun in a tank, it went back down to two. Some other guns, when you put it into a tank, stayed at three, like the uh, Challenger, or not the Challenger, the um, Matilda. Uh, okay. uh, well, the Matilda. It's the one that um was it the Challenger again? The early Challenger, sorry. I'm getting my Team Yankee uh, <laughs> uh mixed up at the moment. The um seventeen pounder. Um so yeah, the um so it kind of just got to the point where it was like we need a bit of consistency between these guns and their rate of fire and just to make sure that um it to make sure that things like the bigger the big guns, the and the high rate of fire stuff of the anti aircraft guns stuff like that still had a good had a good uh, um Couple of points over what um, what what a stationary gun would have, what a anti tank gun would have. So yeah, it was a good. Sorry, uh, with with the new lower pricing for anti tank guns, they're a lot more susceptible to artillery now. Yep, that is yeah. that is true, and especially with uh, the uh, command team to soak up a hit as well. So the, you've got a lot of you got four, four team, four infantry team. Um, uh, platoon uh, artillery is gonna is gonna eat it for breakfast as well as uh, anything else that's just picking off you know like 50 cal shots and stuff like that. You're gonna lose a few guns here and there to that as well. So yeah, you're gonna be immediately kind of testing after one glorious round of shooting if you get that, which I think keeps their points down a little bit. So um, no, yeah, that's fair. And um, yeah, I think that's one thing I'm struggling with. I'm not taking enough artillery because mm. I've been trying to take ants and take ants tank guns with tanks is a lot harder than it used to be. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot harder. Um, I gotta say though, so here's one. Here's one of my, the things I the things I love with how things change when rules change. So nebs used to be the lovely, nice, cheap artillery option. <laughs> yep. And yep. now they're more expensive. I know you get an extra gun uh, for upgrade, but now they're more expensive by a fair bit than the artillery. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I need probably. I'm shooting this down to template size and and other bits like that. Yeah. So yeah, the um the template size is is the big one. Um, you if you're going to be te- if you're knocking out uh what is it a ten inch square <laughs> swath of infantry, um you're going to have to pay for that somehow. And um and that, I think that's just something that um uh, that it, yeah I think one of the things with version three, um the auto the auto includes stuff. Was always a red flag for me. Um, you saw it with a lot of different uh, different platoons, but Nebel Warfare was almost in a, in a class of its own. You, you, you always 
who's had double workers. And, um, and it was, it, it indicated to me that there was, that the points were a bit too, too cheap. They need to be a little bit dear. Um, because everybody had one you had just a couple points left over in your, in your tank army. Well, you could always take three nabs. So I want, I still wanted that to, I wanted that to compete with what was more common, uh, which would be the 10.5s or the, um, later on, uh, the, uh, 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 Vespas and Hummels and stuff. So it needs to, it needs to, since there's no other, there's nothing else really kind of keeping it back either. The, um, like with the uh, um, in the old days when when they you know, they, don't, they still don't have direct fire as well, which is a, which is a disadvantage. If they did have direct fire, then they, those points would actually go up even more. Um, the uh, we did want to make sure that whatever we whatever point matrix we applied to regular artillery, that it should also apply to the netwalkers as well. So they've also got a huge boost in the terms of they've now they've lost smoke trails. They've mm-hmm. added the ability to repeat bombardment. They can, yeah, yep. the fact they can, the fact they can repeat bombard now, and they get the reroll yeah, saves with ten inch template if they repeat in. bombard. I mean, ranged yep. in at the beginning of the turn, yeah. beginning of the game, that's a huge yeah. denial of ten yeah. inches. Just like you're not coming through this corridor unless you want to be rerolling saves. Yeah, yeah. in the open. <laughs> exactly. Oh. And, yeah, yep. and you and you've got your own. You can plug into your OP uh, network as well, so you can yep. make sure that. You've got eyes on the ground wherever you need to be and things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so. it's it's just really funny we have changed because as you say, it was always that oh you know, so like especially German armor, even some German infantry. Like right, I need, I, you know, I've got some points left over. Oh god, I really do some smoke. Oh, Neb's hundred points done. Nine yep. points <laughs> is a good price to pay for a ten-inch template <laughs> to be able to mm. make rocket noises every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this is. So and the the story I, I got my mirages uh, yesterday for Arab Israeli and, uh, and the first thing I did was like right open them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Don't care about anything else. I think for my for the the first month's post is going to be I was, I should have done like Isherman Isherman Isherman's whatever because you know they're more they're, they're the heart of my army, but I had four mirages to paint and they're mirages. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, well, cool. um, another one talking about. Quite expensive. So uh, stukas with big cannons on them. Yeah, totally worth it. Yeah, totally worth it. They're plain, of course, but. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, they they um, we this is kind of it's it was a 1943 thing, and this is one of those situations where um, where uh, packaging was kind of a problem. Um, we want. We definitely wanted to include the tank hunter later uh, for uh, for Kursk, which is when they actually debuted. Um, but one of the things was um, if you went out and purchased your Stuka dive bomber for for this book, and then wanted to um, get a cannon bird later uh, when when the new books came out, you'd have to buy the Stuka a second time uh, in order to get the card <laughs> in order to um, do that. So we. Decided to uh, just put it in this book anyway, just advance them, advance the army, the uh, the gunbirds. They had them uh, a little bit earlier than um, than normal, just so that uh, when you do buy your Stuka um, box in the future, you have both options and you're ready to go for Kursk. So it's a little bit of a teaser for Kursk. Um, so that's why it's in the book. It's an unusual. It's I think the only bit of equipment that I can think of at the moment that's uh, distinctly 1943 that's in the book. Um, 
otherwise, uh, yeah, the the um, the ability to hit <clears throat> put a template, a bunch of shooting, direct fire shooting, uh, into the side of a turret um, almost without any um, uh, resistance <laughs> um, was something that uh, had had a, we did do a fair bit of testing around because um, yeah, you could swoop down, nail a nail a target, and then um, and not really face any consequences. So unless there was some DHSKs or something like that, there, there was it's a pretty it's a pretty powerful weapon um, in in the uh, in the in the right hands, especially when you got a pair of them. So but yeah, and they're um yeah the three point sevens uh, should should be enough to get you through the, the sides of T thirty fours and and uh, and a lot of those like uh, uh, not Matilda's Valentines and. Um, T60s and stuff like that. You can really wreck those pretty quick. <laughs> KVs laugh at it, they. They do. Uh, <laughs> KVs laugh at a lot of things, though. <laughs> um, but this is the trouble with the the KV is one of those tanks that almost sets the benchmark for everything in the entire game, um, just because of how where it sits with its armor and its really crap gun, um, and it just. It's a weird one to have to try to design around because you do have to think, okay, well, if I give this nine, that means that it could possibly bail it, but probably not at the same time. So then do I give it like an extremely high number? But if I give it a high number, then T-34s have zero chance to deal with it. So yeah, it's, 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 it's such a, just like in real life, it's caused <laughs> so much, so much, um, uh, so many waves in in designing German books. Um, the KV, uh, its, its legacy continues. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not like it held held up like an entire army corps, uh, like yeah. inside of a road or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, when used right, they were pretty pretty good. Yep. Exactly. Uh, cool. So obviously we've got the city five section in the back of the book, and we'll cover that in more detail. Just going to go over the Russians quickly. Um, so, uh, obviously, Russian, first time we've got Russian, so everything here is new, really, because obviously this is the new, uh, new design for it, right, looking at, uh, making it work with, uh, the, the newer rules. Yeah. Um, a couple of things that kind of, um, occurred to me, obviously, uh, one of the first ones is, um, Hen and Chicks is gone, which obviously is been a very big design thing on, on them, the fact that the rule even been redesigned a few times. Yeah. To try and get it to work right. Uh, obviously, it has sort of been replaced with. Um, what's the, I'm trying to find the rule up here a second. It is. is it, um, All the tanks are like overworked or overworked. Yes, that's the yeah. one. Um, yeah. So obviously, but but this is, is quite different. Obviously, because that is just literally that tank that moves. Not the Ooh. entire unit gets disadvantaged because one tank repositioned. Right. It's the tank that one tank itself that moves. I. Where's the rule? <laughs> I'm in yeah. the actual unit. It's a, it's a unit. I think it's a rule book rule. They, uh, are, you, are you talking about the overworked one? Yeah, is that a rule book yeah. rule? Right? Okay, cool. That'd be why I can't find it in the special rule section. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, you do you get a bit more yeah. flexibility. Um, it does mean that you can um, you do have to kind of think think through it, like uh, like keep some tanks back and which ones you want to move, which ones things like that. The uh, the hen and chicks isn't. Entirely gone. It is. It does. It does still factor into the overall um, uh, um, points matrix, which kind of spits out the numbers at the ends, so, and what rules should be appropriate for it. So, um, 
it's not it's not a set like every every tank should have but um it but there is kind of like a I don't really know exactly what the number is, but it's kind of like a, it's like a less than a point sort of a considerations. Right. So, um, so if if it kind of if it, if something else is involved in that tank, that could potentially cause some problems with um, like visibility is a good one, for example, like cupolas and stuff like that, or uh, the size the size of your turret uh, also plays a big difference. If there's something else that kind of comes up, then it then that plus the hen and chicks kind of uh, the ghost of hen and chicks, shall we say, um, kind of put it over the top and, and kind of get it into a, a spot where it, where the, it becomes overworked, if, if that right. makes sense. So, so it, it's still calculated. It's in. It's kind of like it, it's part of the stew, um, and kind of kind of comes out when when uh, when it's needed and when it's not. So, yeah. Okay, but I mean, I say so much about a lot of Soviet tanks. The idea of having some flexibility when I've gone right that those two tanks at the back are out of position. I don't dare move them because obviously. Hen and chicks being able to go, yeah, I can move those two. That's absolutely fine now. Yeah, um, yeah. that's that's quite liberating. <laughs> yeah, that's there's a lot of that in um, in the design philosophy for version four. It's a lot of that kind of just um, simplification and and uh, freeing up players to do things. So one of the one of the things that Hen and Chicks always tried to do was it tried to replicate that kind of uh, tactical. Uh, inflexibility that that Soviet forces seem to have, um, but at the end of it, you're kind of you're still fighting the nature of 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 the player who wants the, who wants that tactical flexibility. So uh, a lot of game design around trying to force players down a, a, a certain way of playing um, that can be done, and and you and there are the incentives are much more uh, easily. Um, they, they, you can do that better with incentives rather than um, than uh, kind of like detriments. And, and I think that um, one of the things we just decided with, with Hen and Chicks was, well, we can have it calculate through uh, the cards and through the um, through the equipment and stuff like that. But um, we'll just let let that kind of go that way. And then then there's more incentive to use the tanks in kind of a bludgeony sort of way by just getting them all up in front and, and letting them. Do that. Sure, there might be a, a moment where you need to keep a tank back to do to you know, maybe provide some covering fire. But at the end of the day, you're still two plus to hits. So you got to get in there. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, you all the all the tactical flexibility in the world might be um, might be nice, but um, but yeah, you're going to get you destroyed. Still you still conscript really tanks. Oh, yes, reckless. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's one thing. So you got you got the free tank list. Uh, all all tanks are reckless, um, which is uh, you know even though the infantry seems to have learned something between editions, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> tanks have definitely not. They've just doubled down on it. Yep. Um, I'll start with the KV now. Uh, we've got the mixed tank here. You've got the KV, which is the this is obviously the main list for the KV, um, and uh, this guy's got. Quite a lot of rules that affect stats, and LC is as is beast as we talked about. So uh, another change is rear MG is no longer rerolling successful hits against it; it's now plus one to hit of assault. Yeah. Um, getting honest, this was a rule initially. I was like, I wasn't sure about it. So someone pointed out, what are you actually worried about hitting you in assault anymore? I was what? like, yeah. What do you mean? Well, bazooka A it hits your sidearm, and B and it hits on six. I was like, oh yeah, that's a fair point. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we don't have yeah. any fast story about or anything like that. Um, the the yeah, there's not a lot of the uh, integrated uh, anti tank isn't isn't so common anymore. So yeah, your your ability to uh, survive what is probably not, not going to kill you in the first place. Um, yeah. yeah, it's much better just to kind of roll that up into the uh, the assault mechanic, making it yeah. giving it a little bit more more of a presence um, than. Um, it's it's kind of effectively the same sort of thing as like having a tank of descent nicking on you. They're actually doing more more of the work <laughs> than than the actual tank is in terms of killing stuff. So, uh, and obviously these things are designed to be assault monsters as well because they they counterattack better, they hit better in assault, and they yeah. uh, obviously being Soviet, Soviet, all Soviet tanks get a bonus to uh, last man stand, uh, last man stand, uh, last stand test. Sorry, mm-hmm. and in fact, it's top armor to. Fairly confessed face here. That's top armor two, front armor nine, and side armor eight. It's it's going to take a lot of stopping. We need tigers. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, yeah, you know, the same as in the old days it, when I used to play my old mixed tank Ovi. If I saw no t- no tigers and panthers, I was like, cool. <laughs> this, <laughs> it's going to be a fun game. <laughs> oh, yeah, That's yeah, they're tied. They, yeah, they they are a beast. They they do have a few weaknesses tied directly into their formation. The the first the first being that they don't have an HQ. So um, they're not going to be getting your uh, rerolls and stuff like that from your HQ. What, the what second the, um, the, idea behind that? Sorry, sorry, we'll go, sorry yeah. no HQ. What's the is it yeah. any, I know back obviously back in the day you used to buy your two or three tank platoons and then you picked yep. one of those tanks for your your battalion commander. Um, yeah, the, that was that was always an artificial sort of um, way of getting one, getting a command team. The way that these these guys were organized is that they were literally three companies tossed together and thrown into combat. And if and and nine times out of ten, the only tanks that came back were the KVs. Um, <laughs> the, so they're kind of like they're they're just they're just they're they're officially organized, but they are relatively ad hoc. And um, and so there really isn't a very good command structure um, to get rules um, or to get orders across to the different types of units and stuff like that. So, so yeah, it just at the end of the day, it really doesn't justify an HQ. Um, but it does also open up a little bit of an Achilles heel for the KVs. So one of the things is you can take one platoon of KVs, but um, everything else is there to be killed. <laughs> so um, the... Uh, T-34s are probably your next sturdiest tank, um, but if you back that up with anything else, then uh, yeah, you're, the, everything that your opponent has is going to try to kill everything but the KVs and um, and destroy that battalion that way. So most of the KVs in our testing, um, I would actually say probably 85% of the KVs that were destroyed in the games in our testing were done through um, uh, formation breaking. Um, and that's that's the best way to to kind of see them off. Um, and you, you see it as well with like tigers and stuff like that. And, and the German and uh, German companies are the same. You just, you break everything else around the tiger and then the tiger, um, falls off. So, yeah, I, I would say that if you're taking a, a, a company of KVs and a company of T-34s, you're not going to have many points left for anything else. No, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is the thing. Like there, you don't, you don't have as much as you'd like, um, and because the KVs themselves, you take a purple thing in there, forty points for the yeah. for the lot of. So uh, <laughs> yeah, and um, and yeah, that and they do, they will crunch, um, they will crunch whatever's they're kind of pointed at, um, but um, but the 
yeah, everything else is quite crunchable. So um, in a lot of the, the martyrs and and uh, pack 40s and 88s and stuff like that, um, they'll, they'll be chewing up everything else that's not those. Although the 88s might have a go at the uh, the KB. Yeah. Again, 88s one of the other things. So effectively, it's a tiger, just without yeah. armor. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and, uh, and there's only one. There's only one. Usually, one or two tanks <laughs> that uh, that are coming at you anyway. Or maybe a couple. Uh, so if you if you drop if you're able to drop one, it, it just means that there's a huge impact <laughs> when when you can kill one of the KVs. Um, it has a huge impact on the battle. Um, so just get, going back to say about you know the, the hidden matrix to to why a tank gets overworked and one doesn't. Um, I've just actually just noticed things we're going through the book here, uh, and it talks about the fact because you've, you've got the KV one which has overworked and the KV one S which doesn't have overworked, mm-hmm. and it's actually saying the fact it's got a raised. Um, uh, what's it? Uh, Capula. Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously, is that that's probably is that one of the things that pushed it ab- above having the overworked yeah. drill? Yeah, it does. The, uh, the the cupola does two things. Like it, it helps push that um, that up a bit. It also gives it a better cross rating as well. Because um, one of the things that we noticed with uh, looking into Soviet um, uh, maintenance reports, uh, if, we, if you could find them, <laughs> was uh, <laughs> most most tanks would um, would would honestly just bog down in the silliest of, of situations. Um, it just it's almost comical the amount of times that that a T thirty four or a KV or something would would bog down in a tiny little creek that is you know <laughs> you could have seen it from a mile away but because of the way the turret is designed uh, especially the KV one turret if you look at the KV one there's like a tiny little slit on the side of the the turret that's oh right uh, that's... unless you get out unless you get out of the out of the hatch <laughs> you're not going to see anything. And the Soviets fought uh, buttoned up, buttoned up. So um, they didn't, they wouldn't see these things. They they would be very, very basic things. Like like there'd be one boulder in an entire field, and a, the tank would hit it. Because, <laughs> <straight into it. laughs> the driver, the driver might be able to see it, but the driver's been trained to have no initiative. So um, unless the man tells him to do something, so it's like, well, he's going to tell me to turn at some point. Well, no, okay, well, looks like we're heading right. For that thing. So. Um, <laughs> Um, that kind of stuff. That's, I mean, this is all the stuff that kind of leads not only to uh, better cross ratings and or worse cross ratings in that in that case, but also it gives you that reckless uh, rating as well, uh, and, and and skill. That's why everything is green as well. But the other thing that the, that the KV turret has, which is different, is that it's wider and um, and you, and it's just easier to get around in that turret as well. So um, the turret actual architecture internal architecture is much better much more suited to um to firing the gun and to operating it than um, than the kv1 turret which is actually quite a narrow turret so the uh, and and also <laughs> the way um the uh, kv1 the uh commander's copla is directly behind the breech of the gun so um which is also ridiculous so um yeah, getting around. So if you did want to use those vision slits on the side of the turret, you actually had to move around in the turret to use them to see out the side. It's ridiculous. It was just really bad. So that's why cupolas became a thing. That's why on the KV-1s, the uh, commander's hatch is, was moved to the um, to the right or to the left of the gun so that um, the, the commander could kind of, like all, like almost every other tank. Um, <laughs> uh, it was actually a very well-designed um uh, second iteration on the KV. The KV-1S was a very good tank um, and, and took care of a lot of those issues that the KV-1 and the KV-2s um, had. 
it, it, it's amazing how many of these kind of design flaws actually did make it to frontline service on various things. Yeah, um, oh, when when those when the Germans are almost to your uh, to your factory, you can you oh, just to get get out the door. <laughs> I, I know, I get that with those other ones. It's like the it was the um, the Japanese being the only navy to have the to have aircraft carriers with the was it the, t- the command tower on the I want to say the starboard side. Oh yeah, starboard. yeah. So I would say that because obviously university pilots when they had to abort the landing would pull to starboard. Um, so they had lots of crashes. People, police planes just crashing into it. So like, oh yeah, let's let's uh, let's not do that again. <laughs> but everyone else kind of worked it out before that. Um, yeah, because obviously, I mean, KVs are a big part. I used to love my old KVs. They're always fun, just because just because the fear. And, and uh, I'm <clears throat> sorry, I'm looking forward to some of the command cards, which uh, have been talked about, which make them platoons run away from them easier and other things yeah. like that to give them that kind of real fear factor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm scared already. Yeah. 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 Um, I think uh, the interesting thing that I'll, I'll be looking forward to seeing um, is the uh, is the preference between the the one and the and the and the one S. Yeah. Uh, just, just to see just to see where that goes. So my my personal preference is for the KV one S. Um, it has slightly less armor, but it's um and it's really fast. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Mike. You're, you're wrong. It's all about the KV one. I don't know. Big slabs of armor. All right. So everybody's heard, get on. <laughs> everybody's heard it here. There's there's been a challenge, a bit of a throwdown. So <laughs> get out there, play some games. Let us know how it goes. <laughs> they all look the same when they're on fire. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> um, obviously, next uh, next up, we couldn't have a savior book without a T thirty four. Now, the 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 big potential hint I'm guessing here is that this is called a T thirty four early tank mm-hmm. battalion. Uh, making me think there's going to be a T-34 middle or later tank battalion at some point. Yeah, so the, uh, just like with the K- uh, KVs, the turret is completely redesigned between the two. So the um, the interesting thing about these guys is they have this old the old school uh, zero cupola, uh, that massive uh, lid of a door. <laughs> I, I do uh, love it. It, it does yeah. look it does look ridiculous, but I do love it. So there's a lot to it that um, that turret in particular um, is uh, was kind of greatly redesigned uh, for the uh, later on for for the um, later versions. And the big the big difference with that one is the uh, is the cupola on the on the later versions. So um, it's not quite enough for it to lose its overworked, um, but it's enough to give it a better cross if I, if I remember correctly. The um, because the Germans found the later ones as well because they look like uh, Mickey Mouse, don't they? When they're both the turret, the both the hatches yeah. are open. Yes, that's yep. right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the, the ultimate cap. Well, not the ultimate capsis uh, logo, but a pretty big capsis logo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, yep. Uh, yeah, and I assume that's where we're going to see the fifty-seven mils as well. Later. The yes, the the uh, yeah the fifty-sevens. The, the, there is a bit of there was a strange thing with the 57. There was a big batch of them made in uh, right at the end of what would be the early war period, and then um, they were all kind of rushed into battle and um, and immediately destroyed. So the big the first batch the first batch of 57s um, just kind of disappeared from history until um, later in 43 when they eventually got them back up in operation. So I think they were making them. Um, they're being produced either in Stalingrad or Kharkov. I think it was Stalingrad. Um, 
and they had bigger fish to fry in this period, um, obviously, than to produce some anti-tank guns. But um, the uh, so the 57s, there's a, there's if you look up the uh, T34 57 millimeter, um, you'll see that there is a, there's a there's a batch of them with these old turrets, um, and then there's a batch of them with the with the new turrets. So it was a bit hard to place when and where uh, they they show up, <clears throat> but um, Generally speaking, we decided to uh, push that off to um, more of a cursed period anyway, because um, the, the, all of the, the T-34 companies and battalions and, and tank corps and things like that that are operating in this area are just the, their bog standard T-34s. The, 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 the 57s don't seem to have um, been mentioned in any of the Stalingrad fight or any of the um, uh, kind of surrounding area, which is kind of our litmus test for those kind of, those kind of things. If, if Otherwise, uh, it made perfect sense to stick it in Kursk, where you get um, slightly better tanks for for them to go into. Yeah, because that's one of the because I obviously I did my most of my research was looking in Barbarossa, looking in here. <laughs> yeah, they're in Barbarossa. That's that's odd, but um, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I did. I assume, I assume there must be no reason for it beyond saving it for the Kursk book. Um, yeah, it's there. It's a bizarre gun. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bizarre history. Uh, well, save your tank, save your weapon design. We, we we could improve this weapon, or we could just keep producing the rubbish one because it's cheap and easy to produce. Yeah, let's do that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had no reason to suspect that those seventy sixes weren't doing the job though, and this is yeah. the other thing. Like they were, because um, most of the time they're going up against like those early Panzer threes and those early Panzer fours, mm. and seventy six does just fine with that. Yeah. Um, and in, in effect, has a better firepower rating anyway in terms of game. So. Um, you're you're kind of better off with those anyway until um, you start seeing the more up-armored Panzer IVs and Panzer threes and up-armored and studs. Then, yeah. yeah, and then they also need the Tigers and stuff like yeah. that. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, cool. Um, and obviously the last one, well, I don't know if it's the last one, obviously then got the, the Valentines, which um, mm-hmm. no, I don't need to go too much. Obviously overworked, obviously, whereas I don't think the British one is overworked, is it? Yeah, this is this is the tiny turret Valentine. Um, again, going back to the the, the woes of turret design in the early 1940s. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, this is the early turret version, um, and I think the British one has has overworked as well. In, uh, oh, no, okay. I think I'm pretty sure it does. Unless this is on a turret, it does. Yeah. It does. It does give it a um, a plus one side armor, which gives it a, a bit of an advantage because it is a well armored thing. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, for, yeah. For, as a light tank, as it because it's filled the a light tank role in this list. Uh, yeah. Feel love to save your ideas on what light tanks are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, when it's got better armor than T thirty four, and it's a light tank. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll see. Other uh, these these they seem. Pretty cheap to me. I've, there's look like something they kind of jumped off a bit that I need to go and buy some more. The Valentines. Um, yeah, because I, I and this kind of spoiler. I've been I I was a bit stupid, so I bought ten <laughs> Valentines for late war Soviets. Built them. Oh yeah. Put the mm-hmm. big turret on. For some reason, didn't think about mid war and early war, and threw away the other turret. Oh no. So I've now got ten t- <laughs> so ten Valentines literally on my painting table, but they've got the wrong turret for mid war, and they're going like ah. Uh, I'm trying to, like, do I, do I spend the money now just to get some more turrets and yeah, not bother painting the holes? Because <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to need 20 Valentines. I it, Maybe I will. I think it's too late to go dumpster diving. <laughs> yes, way too late. Wait, yeah. Yeah, I built them ages ago and then they kind of sat there waiting for my Italians to finish. 
Right. Um, <laughs> now this time is finished, and this I've got the guy access to the book. I went, oh bugger. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> all right. Just just wait. Just wait for Kursk. I think that's when the um, when they get the new turret and the Kursk. So. Oh, uh, cool. Now we've got my one of my favorite rules in the whole book. You'll like this, Fez. But the T sixty, it has a little tank rule. Tanks, which basically means it doesn't count as a light tank for all like deployment purposes. You've got deep reserves and stuff like that, because they use them as frontline battle tanks. Mm. Right. <laughs> just like, <laughs> yeah. we just need tanks. Just put them in the line. I don't care what they are. I don't care how light the armor they are. They'll yep. do the job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just um, you got to love these guys. Well, any tank that's less than a point per tank. Um. Yeah. God. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I know. I can't. I can't wait to get myself some T sixties. Um, yeah, they're yeah. a fun little tank. <laughs> I definitely. Um. I've. I've found a new appreciation for them. When I was testing this, I play a lot of Strukovi, and um, uh, for reasons I'm sure we'll get into and all that. But uh, the T sixty was an, a surprising MVP. Um, for for a. To, to support your infantry with is um it just it's just when you need armor just any armor but just yeah. something and you get ten of them it, uh, it's it's quite a useful tool in in your in a Strakovi's toolbox. Um, and I think first you appreciate this because you're the man who's doing T34s in the Arab Israeli. Oh yeah. And they're about the same points. Um. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, I, I can't wait to get these guys. I, I love, they just look so awesome. <laughs> That's the <laughs> kind of thing. Mm. Um, and also then the last one you got here, uh, which I, I it kind of made sense because the models exist already and it's just, it's quite easy just doing a new card and to put some decals in a box. Uh, but I'm really quite glad it's there because I love lend these equipment and you got the Lees and the Stuarts and, um, my money, my my kind of early, not really played many games kind of theory hammer kind of thing is I think the Lees and the Stuarts might be the best tank list for Soviets. Yeah, they they do they do feel like that. Um, they also die very fast. <laughs> oh um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that it's what's really interesting is that that. The split between front armor six and five is might as well be a chasm. There's a mm. there's a quite a there's quite a lot of stuff that suddenly comes into play when between those two numbers. Um, the Panzer three earlys, for example, start being um, uh, useful, uh, more useful than than they are currently. Uh, with with anti tank eight, you're suddenly able to kind of. You know, uh, sure, you'll be bouncing quite a few of those, but I'm not hitting you still on a two plus. So. Mm. It becomes a little bit easier to start opening those up, um, and it kind of, by being a pretty um, good tank for the, for the Soviets, it brings back into play options that are kind of not amazing in the German section. It gives them a reason for being like those those early those early Panzers. So, game design wise, I feel like it's a really great balancing force because um, if you do bring a uh, lead force, it means that I can start bringing. Um, Kind of uh, anti-tank seven, eight, and nine um, exclusively. I don't have to have those big uh, pack forties, although they're always they're always helpful. Um, I can start I can start matching almost hole to hole in some cases. Hmm. Not really, but um, <laughs> but the uh, 
the yeah it's it's definitely a, an interesting tank um and it definitely has the all of the the um drawbacks that a lee has <clears throat> it's um you know the relatively difficult to conceal <laughs> um and uh and it's forward firing weaponry um, so it's going to be a bit of a problem once it starts getting into a knife fight which is what i which is what most of the time most of the battles end up with them so there's that knife fight aspect uh, there's that, I mean, the the one of the biggest matches it does not have overworks, which I think no. the T thirty four I I don't know I don't know so that part of me that went that that seems like quite a good trade off. I think yes, you are losing one armor. Yeah. So sometimes you're going, I'm losing one armor. Like if a if a uh, seven point five is hitting you, it doesn't really make a difference. I would yep. say really because the T thirty four is probably not bouncing that anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But as you see, so yeah, when you get when you get there is. There's definitely a sweet spot, like eighty ten in a pans of as a, a long range eighty ten. You probably in a T thirty four. You're probably feeling confident. With this, mm-hmm. you're probably feeling less less confident. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then you obviously, and you can you can make them up gunned as well, which is uh, then I think that's I don't, I don't know if that's worth it then because then you start to hit the T thirty four points level. Yeah, so, exactly. At, at a point each, they yeah. start going up. It's an interesting balance. Uh, the Stuarts seem like. Um, Quite a good bargain, and the one thing that only just occurred to me, obviously they've got the same re- they got the same reckless rating as the American ones. Yep. So you're actually kind of like competing. You actually competing quite favourable. I think they look quite favourable to compare to the American um, Stuarts. Yeah, I don't have the American one here to um, to compare them. To be honest, uh, Ben flies to the bookshelf. <laughs> because when it's ten pounds a book, I'm going to buy them all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> let me see. Ooh, I just went past it. I did have it. They're working out to be about two points a tank here. I do uh, have the they are, yeah, they are slightly cheaper. So you're at, at for five five American ones is ten. I guess mm-hmm. you have got stabilizers with the American. True. Yeah. And this yeah. one is overworked, but um, but uh, yeah, two ones overworked. Man. This one's not overworked, so it's stabilised instead. Um, but then that both, that both does equal plus one to hit when moving. This one's got a lot less shots. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, I, I think... You can convert the shots. Yeah. Um, yeah the, again... The Lenley stuff, like, the Lenley stuff has always had a strange... Uh, it interacts strangely with the point matrix in that it always gives you a much more efficient... Um, System than 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 the natural uh, Soviet ones. So like in the old days, um, Lees were always uh, quite quite attractive for the same reasons as, as you see in version four. So yeah, it is it it definitely it sits on kind of a, a, an uncomfortable area. I would have preferred personally that um, that Soviet equipment would be slightly more um, attractive, but. Um, it's it's based on uh, uh, on the actual characteristics of the tank, so it can't be that can't be that different, I guess. And, and the um, I to me the person I just love when you see the the, the British khaki and the uh, the American kind of uh, mm. dab, and then with the Soviet stars on, I think it just looks awesome. Yeah, so something about it just not be, not being quite the same color. And you're there. It's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's cool. It's in, it's like it's green, but it's a different kind of green. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the um, 
<laughs> a couple years ago, my, my brother and I went to a um, my brother and I took a, a mixed Tankovi, or he took a mixed Tankovi with with him, and uh, and he painted up um, the KVs, and uh, and I painted up the Stewarts, and um, we got them on the table, and we're like, this just looks cool. Yeah, it's like that kind of like forest green versus a khaki green, just makes it look completely different. And at that time, I was like, man, I really need to get a lend lease. Uh, tank company together because I really quite like the the um, Russian graffiti on the side of the tanks oh, and stuff. Yeah, that does look cool. When you see it in the books, you got especially because the you got the leaves got the massive front area. Yeah. And uh, in the book, they got all the they got all the graffiti on them. I think I think it just, it just looks awesome. I, I'm really looking forward to doing some leaves for Soviets, even though I've just painted twelve for British. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, yeah. So that kind of because the armament. A lot of armoured options there, uh, which is also when mm. we saw at Cursed to go. Yeah. Which is yeah. A, a slightly major tank battle in history. Yeah, just, um, a, just, just a mild one. Yeah. Um, doesn't <laughs> mean we wonder what we're going to have in there. Um, mm. So obviously then we go to the Strauch, and obviously one of the big talking points coming out of the open day. So four up save on the Strauch infantry. Probably, mm. It's probably best to start there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that um, the size of a Russian stock of a company has always been a difficult design um, space because um, you know you could go down to a platoon uh, level like everybody else, but um, but then just by the nature of how quickly they were destroyed, there's no point in <laughs> having a whole bunch of, of of small units and it just becomes unmanageable, especially when you have um, you can start integrating uh, platoons and stuff like that to with, with other with other units and stuff, and it just kind of got really messy. So, so early on in the process, we decided to, to retain the company organization, um, which brings with it um, what do you do with the morale rules, and um, because of getting it down to just a handful of teams <clears throat> is particularly difficult, especially with the three plus save. Uh, we played around with a couple of different things. We made them. Um, uh, Two plus to hit and three plus save. So we did a bunch of tests with them, and then we tried giving them a three plus to hit. Uh, sorry, is hit on uh, aggressive, and then give them a four plus. And um, <clears throat> just trying to get to that um, to that place where um, it was kind of equivalent in terms of um, difficulty uh, to eliminate a, a company as it is a platoon for anyone else who's got mildly um, better troops. So um, the result ended up being, the mathematical result ended up being um, favoring the 3-plus to hit and infantry on a 4-plus save. And that was just to, um, again, to really keep that uh, focus on um, get in and assault. (laughs) Because if you sit back, if you sit back um, on an objective, you um, are going to get cut up. And that, cause that's one of the biggest, one of the, I think the biggest strength of the four plus um, save from every other nation's point of view. Um, having 30 stands sitting, 30 plus stands sitting on an objective that you have to kill down to three guys yeah. um, is is not is is a non-starter. Um, so so from a gameplay point of view, we wanted to make sure that there was a um, that we wanted to give them. We wanted them to have an advantage for having a ton of teams, but we wanted to make sure that that fell in the right space, and that space was always, at this point in the war, 
uh, frontal charges, frontal assaults and stuff like that. So um, we wanted to make sure that when you um, really committed to Soviets, you had to kind of embody that sort of um, uh, that that mythology, that sort of ethos. So again, going back to the thing we were talking about incentives and disincentives, um, we use a bit of both in this case. Um, it's they're slightly harder to hit, which is new for them, and um, and slightly uh, easier to kill, which is a, which is a disincentive for staying still. So yeah, so that's kind of where that's how that we kind of settled in on on that area. One of the advantages of, of the of the new system for version four, the the card system, and and for all these individual little uh, values is that we can kind of tweak what we need to tweak to mm-hmm. get both gameplay um, gameplay balance as well as historical balance to to play well together. Because when you or in the old days you had the two stats and each stack could be the three options, that was great, and it gave us flexibility back in the day, but now we have so much more flexibility in game design point of view, from a game design point of view, to put these guys where they need to be. So, for example, um, we've got all the different types of movement that we can give them now. Um, we've got their different types of call, uh, motivation skills and hit on and save. Uh, nothing is particularly sacred um, in terms of... Uh, what those numbers should be. So if it needs to change for gameplay uh, reasons, we can do that. Um, and if it, if it needs to change for historical reasons, we can do that as well. But in this case, we were able to do a bit of both. We were able to put, um, able to put Soviets on the offense um, and still give them 30-plus stands <laughs> to throw at your opponent um, and hope that the, the, uh, the barrels of the machine guns melt off before you get <laughs> <laughs> Let you get to the objective before they, everybody's dead, but there was that. Yep. So yeah. So that's the that's the story behind the four plus save. And, and obviously to uh, and obviously with, with the the other thing to incentivize salting, the stroke get to char, uh, get to salt six inches, not four inches, and uh, for the motherland, which is plus one to hit an assault. Yeah. So you say really you get the idea these are are an assault unit. Oh, and and another one on top of that is the fact that although they're rifle MG teams in using old money. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're only rate of fire one stationary. Yeah. So you're not even getting two shots per base if you're stationary. Uh, obviously, they haven't got yeah. the slow fire, or so they're not. They they, they always they, they don't get the plus one tape for moving and shooting. But mm-hmm. it's not so that so basically, unless you really need to be dug in, there is no disadvantage to moving with them because you're not going to affect yeah. your shooting values. Yeah, exactly. That was one of the there was there that had that was another one of those interesting historical and gameplay uh, confluences. The uh, what was interesting with the the uh, DPMG gives you the ability to have more fire. So it's kind of very similar to the Soviets used their um, their uh, infantry squad machine guns. It's very similar to the American BARs. So it was more of a um, a base of fire sort of a thing. Even though you had this big drum mag on top. You're usually most Soviet um, machine gunners were given like two of those for, for the entire battle. So, um, so it wasn't it wasn't like they could rip off a bunch of shots, but then you'd be you know pretty much out for the rest of the uh, until you were able to re rearm, which was typically uh, after death or um, uh, if your entire unit was pulled out of the line, which was very unlikely in this period. So yeah, you did conserve your ammo quite a bit. So so. It's, yeah, so it, was, it kind of it adds that just a little bit more firepower, um, a little bit more higher rate of fire, 
um, to make sure that um, you're not getting slow firing. But it means that, um, yeah, you're, there is no disincentive for you to stay still, or, or no incentive for you to do it as either. They sound like the British Army, not the uh, not the Soviet Army. They don't they're only, they're only spending money. They can't, you, we're we're going to disable the fully automatic option in your rifle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It always, it always reminds me of the M16 discussion in, in Vietnam. Same same sort of thing. It's like, no, you you don't want a fully automatic version because that'd be silly. Why would you want fully automatic? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously, guys, just just you know, just keep pressing the trigger down. It'd be fine. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, another one to touch on. Obviously, commissars now no longer giving rerolls, no longer killing bases. Actually, they just give a flat while they're alive and in commands uh you basically get plus one to your motivation yep yeah that, that was just a quick tidy way to do it but i will say um in the command cards we have i think it's kind of like an overzealous commissar command card which kind of brings back that ability um to shoot one of your own guys um and uh, and pass the motivation test so again uh having uh, the command cards were able to bring a little, a little bit of that flavor back into um to the into the commissar. Another command card that's very similar is the uh, blocking detachment, which is the it's an upgrade for your machine gun platoon. And um, yeah, you can let loose on one of your own companies to make them <laughs> <laughs> continue the assault. So if they get pinned down or something like that, you can open up open fire with the HMGs, and then um, and then forever. I think you have to. Uh, I'm sort of thinking off the top of my head because I don't have a command card in front of me, but it's like a um, uh, you take the number of times that your machine gun hits your own guys and you add um i think a, a d6 to it and if it's like greater than 10 then uh, then they pass the motivation check anyway and or, or <laughs> pass the thing and, and and press on so it's funny because it kind of encourages the uh, soviet player to take a, a large machine gun um, platoon but you have <laughs> you have to fire you have to fire with everything that can fire you can't just say oh i'm just going to fire two machine guns this the entire <laughs> Do I wipe up my own platoon just to try and get them to... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, you can get a blocking detachment. I, I, I really like the fact that we were able to get some of that, um, that kind of real grim humor um, uh, into into the um, back end because the commissar was one, and um, so we liked the we liked the simplicity of just upping the motivation by another one while he's still around, which kind of more historically. Um, represents what commissars are doing anyway They're, they are more of a they weren't hated <laughs> but they did seem to um uh cop a lot of uh um frag self-frags and stuff like that so there was um a reason to kind of keep that in the game in some fashion um another one to uh to ask about is so um this is um hammy actually and i was trying to ask this one um What's the rationale behind the anti-tank rifles going to a large base rather than the medium base that they used to be on? Yeah, the um, there's a there's a couple of things. The um, the concentration of PTRDs was quite high in kind of like a like a nesty kind of um, um uh, fashion. So there is a lot of like uh, tank hunting teams, if you can count them that. They didn't actually like hunt teams per se, they didn't like chase them down, but they did kind of um, try to do mass volley sort of stuff to try to um, knock out um, uh, tanks and things, so they, they were more of a mass volley sort of a thing in this period um, the, other, the other thing that from a gameplay point of view is that it does give you a mass volley, so looking at the um, it's rate of fire um, it's quite a, it's, it can put out four, four shots yeah. um, halted, which means it'll 
adding one of those one of those into your unit uh, will keep uh, half tracks or anything like that honest as well as light tanks. Mm. Uh, but um, yeah, so so we've kind of grouped them up into kind of like a, a base of fire. Um, you can still get the um, uh, PTRDs uh, as a, as platoons as well um, to kind of bulk that out if you really wanted to. But um, but yeah, we wanted to make sure that they were um, they were what kind of what how they were. <laughs> like at, um, I'm just doing a lot, obviously a lot of reading on Kursk at the moment, and there and there was a and PTRDs were a real um, uh, concern for uh, German tankers. They they were always they were very very concerned about them, and the only people who didn't seem to be concerned about PTRDs were the was the Brumbar unit. Um, and they they were given um, they were given side skirts um, before the battle, but they they were like, well, what are these things? They didn't take them at all. They, they thought they were stupid, so they and just caused problems. So they left. They for the first day of the of the battle, they left their side skirts home, and lo and behold, they lost three tanks to PDRDs. <laughs> and they went they, they went back the next day, and they say, hey, can we uh can we have those side skirts <laughs> like move at the double up front? So, but even um. But even like uh, um, like Ferdinand's and those uh, Ferdinand crews and the and Tiger crews were concerned um, about PTRDs. Not so much that they would be uh, um, you know, penetrated or knocked out. It's just that the massed amount of fire coming from them uh, meant that they would they could hit something lucky. They were much more likely to hit something like a like go through the muzzle break or um, go through a, a cupola or something like that. I guess the psychological warfare as well of it because there's that many number of shots hitting the tank. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Um, so the one of the options here is the second core option. You can have a penal company rather than a normal company, mm-hmm. uh, which is very similar except um, well, I do love the fact it's got punishment tactics on a six. And these guys work very similar to like. Um, Recce, and that you know you get the you get the forward movement before the game, but you, they don't extend the uh, deployment area from it. No, no, they are, they are the deployment area. Um, yeah. They they kind of take up the whole. Yeah, space. Imagine, yeah, they're probably yeah. They're not fast. <laughs> yeah, once you put them down, you're probably not much space anyway. But yeah, um, yeah it's it's nice to see. And obviously, they were quite a big part there. They got basically better motivation. Uh, they're worse at shooting. Don't get many support yeah. options. And uh, as I say, they can't. They're not really good at tactics um, because, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're 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 the um they're they're put in the front of your assault. They they are always your first wave. So there's a couple of configurations you can do with your with your um, Strukovi. You can just go straight up Strukovi regular companies, or you can um, choose one of your units to be this this penal company. And um and one of the other ways to go about it is to do. Uh, uh, like a, uh, your first wave is a penal company, your second wave is an SMG company, and your third wave is your, is your regular rifle guys. Um, and that way, uh, while while everything is shooting at the penal company, you get your SMG guys kind of right up on them as well, and they're able to kind of take up that second wave of an attack. And they they're the ones who want to get into an assault. You don't necessarily need the penal company guys to actually make <laughs> make it to where you need them to go. You just need um, you just need all that firepower to be focused on them, if at all possible. And if they don't focus on them, then there's 30 stands again that they suddenly have to deal with. So, um, yeah, they're 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 definitely a first wave sort of thing, and you just throw them away and, and hope that um, uh, that they um, 
either get in or just cause enough chaos and, and on the table to get everyone to shoot at them. They're another one of those units that they don't have any of those DP um, light machine guns. So they um, they they are rifle teams. They do have slow firing. Yeah. And they've just been given they've just been given a rifle have that. Um, and so uh, yeah, that's uh, they're, they're definitely as cheap as you can possibly get <laughs> to get them in there. On the other end of the spectrum, for what we talked about, we've now got the we've got the hero rifle companies, which obviously mm-hmm. were something that kind of came in with Berlin, and now mm-hmm. uh, obviously been uh, expanded into mid-war. So obviously these represents the the companies that've been that have you know, been in like Stalingrad or the front line for you know a, a week or so, and are down to far lower numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not quite as motivated because they've seen more. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> but they get the uh, they get the free up save back because they're mm. you know. Yep. Not yeah. Quite so stupid. Yep. Exactly. They 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 kind of return to normal operating procedure at this point <laughs> for yeah. um, uh, infantry. So they get their three plus saves back. They do become a bit reluctant, but with the commissar involved, they still they they become confident for for a while. Um, yeah. And they get a lot of the same options and things, but yeah, just like in in the old um, in in the old old late war books, they're uh, thinned down. Uh, quite quite substantially, but um, but that does mean that the guys that are remain at least have learned the lessons that they needed to learn to to, uh, to get in there. So yeah, that's the, the hero dudes are, are meant to be that um, kind of like the end of an assault, the end of the spear point. <laughs> and and uh, one of the other cool things from a kind of uh, new player's perspective is obviously you want to do, you want to do, you're Soviets, you want to do infantry, mm-hmm. and obviously Strauk, which is like you know sixty odd bases minimum really. Yep. It can be a bit daunting, whereas at least now you can go, right, start with these guys, it's about 20 bases or so, you can get yourself a decent-sized army, build up from there later on. Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, that's a huge part of it. Um, yeah. The collectability of, of of it is was a consideration. One of the things, when we were back, when we were talking about whether or not to continue with the company organization, um, whether or not that was actually a more of a barrier than a, than a boon mm. uh, for and and it certainly is. Um, one of the funny things I, I played a bunch of games with the Strokovi um, as we were getting ready to um, to start playing it or to test this in, in, in full full swing. One of the things that I, I probably played about three games, and I realized that I didn't. I was paying the full points for my big Strokovi blocks, but I only had two thirds of the infantry, and I didn't. I just saw these huge blocks of infantry and I thought that that was that has to be it right that, that's it I, <laughs> it was 20 but I was shorting myself almost 15 stands and I was I was bashing my head against the wall trying to figure out why am I losing every game this doesn't make it I, was, I went to Phil and I was complaining I was like I, this is ridiculous I can't make these guys work and so um, we talked it through I brought my uh, I brought my list in and and the Phil was like, well, "You're you're short a ton of teams. What's did you leave some at home?" And I was like, "No, this is everything that I have." He's like, "Well, these are two thirds strength." I was like, uh. "So it just it just it was a little bit demoralizing because not only had I was I dumb um, with those first couple of names that I was doing, but but it meant that I, I I have another twenty stands that I have to paint up for to get my two companies up to full strength. So anyway, so I immediately was like, "Well, okay, cool." Um, we do. What do we, what do, we do for those players that um, don't want to paint that much? Because um, one of the things that that four plus save and three and um, for that four plus save does is it makes it almost compulsory to have that many um, that many stands um, to do what you want to do with it. So you really do need 
to have the will to paint 30 stands. And there are a lot of people who don't have that will, as we, as we pointed yeah. out. So, so having a, a small collectible force, these hero, these hero battalions is exactly what, um, is exactly what, uh, fills that, that gap. And what you can do is you build, um, you start with your hero rifles and, um, and you, and you punch out a, um, a, a hero rifle battalion. And, um, and then later what you can do is you can then take all those stands that you just painted, groove them together to make one large Strokovia block, pair it up with some tanks, and away you go. Um, and then, and then paint up another hero tank of rifle company. And, you know, it allows you to stage it really well, um, which is why I quite like these hero units. Um, the other, other infantry unit you got there is you got the, you got the, you got the storm groups, which obviously uh, make their return. And obviously, as we talked about with the uh, sort of German pioneer versions, they're mm-hmm. clearing out the buildings. Uh, these guys also get on two plus. <laughs> yep, that's, yeah, they're careful as well. That's right. Careful <laughs> Soviets, which is just crazy yep. and fearless. They're, mm-hmm. They almost feel like they're the. They almost feel like they're a German unit that's been put into the uh, Soviet army. Yeah. Um, so if, if if the hero guys are the guys that survived. Uh, an operation. These are the guys that kind of survived several operations. Um, so one of the things that they did is they did take the most experienced troops they, that they had, and they they would cherry pick these guys out of units and put them together in these storm units, which seems more of a punishment than a than a reward. But the um, but they <laughs> they ended up being exceptionally good at what they did. Um, the the some of the some of those fights that you read about in Stalingrad was, especially around the industrial area um, between storm groups and assault groups, or assault pioneers, uh, were some of the most brutal and and um, savage fighting in that entire war, so the um, or in that entire battle, so it, we definitely decided that they they warranted all of that um, that level of professionalism, but having said that this is this is where it becomes really nice to have that nuance. Their still skill is they're still trained for skill, so they they they're still doing some silly stuff um, and not not necessarily doing it the most efficiently. And um, and so the nuance here is that we're able to still make them careful, but in their skill levels we can still make them um, not quite as as uh, as professional as say like the German or German counterparts um, at doing things like the moving mines or things like that. So um they're yeah, they're definitely they're definitely the best of the best and um and they've got all of the the same um kind of heavy equipment that the Strakovi guys have to help you kind of breach make those breaches plus flamethrowers as well. No. As I say, I'm looking forward to trying them in City Fight, which we'll get on to second, but the last little Soviet the unit I would pick on, talk about. <laughs> the uh, Sturmoviks with 2 plus save. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's zip ahead. Um, um, yeah, and hit on a 4 plus. Uh, I'll say mm-hmm. green, mm-hmm. which is good, because I will be honest, uh, today I did have a shock when I was. Um, someone put their Sturmovik down and went, oh, yeah, so how's it, you know. Can't, it was green, is it? it? Went no, no. Okay, all tanks are all planes. Sorry, are veteran early war. Is that what? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, they're um, they're definitely a, a they're a fantastic aircraft. But um, this is they're they're starting to cut their teeth. Um, this is the first time they're able to kind of start doing this sort of thing because um, the Luftwaffe had been so prevalent up to this point. Um, 
yeah, their their ability to get the experience they need um, has has not really presented itself. So, yeah, now now they're um, you have that first batch of really good pilots that are kind of lost in the first couple of years of the war or first couple of months of the war. This is like this is like wave two that's getting trained on the job. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, it's gonna take something pretty heavy to take down a flying tank, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are. Yeah, they're hit on a. On a floor up, which is a bit, um, which is a bit easier than like a uh, normal aircraft, but they're safe as a two plus. So you have to put up a lot of fire. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, they stock up on two centimeters. Although the bombs are quite scary, obviously they're still they're still uh, green to range in. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of the play tests went straight to. Um, uh, the uh, Sturmovic to, to sort out the tigers and stuff, and what they found is it's actually uh, uh, statistically not not really worth your time. <laughs> no, because <laughs> you, you try to range in, it doesn't work, and it's only one there's only one tank under the template usually. So it just there's a lot of things that um, work against it. It's the thing always with planes, though, isn't it? I mean, they look cool, they're great, but quite often they're they're very um, boom or bust. Yeah. Um, Cool. So, the last section to go in now, but the thing I love about both these books is it kind of tells two parts of the story. So you've got the city folk rules in the back of both. The that section is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, then both books have two mission, two different missions for the city fight. So, but we'll quickly cover this. So, um, I've got the lovely new plastic buildings that will be on their way to the shops at uh, some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, modular. Yeah. Um, looking for hands on them with. Uh, an add-on set as well, which I'm I'm going to be intrigued to see how that works. Which to make the buildings bigger. Um, yeah, the um the there's there they are very like as you say very modular, so you can kind of combine two or you can separate them to um it's kind of it's yeah you can make all sorts of different sizes of buildings. We've kind of in the in the rules which we'll go into in a minute um we've kind of made them somewhat consistent, but yeah. um but you can yeah they're they're built they're designed specifically for you to to make how you want. So a lot of the Battlefield in the Box uh, stuff is all, obviously all painted and is set in stone, but if you want a very particular sized building, um, or if you want to put different corners on the buildings and stuff like that, we've got you have that building now with these ones. Yeah. And uh, obviously, so very much like you kind of used to be when you're talking about the first section, so you kind of talk about how to use them. So the first section literally just goes, normal game of Flames of War, kind of outskirts of city, playing 6 by 4 just use the normal rules, one or two little tweaks. Uh, so then you've got the fighting in the inner city where you talk about playing on a 4x4. Four four. Mm-hmm. But uh, to jump ahead a little bit, we then got the missions in the back of the book which are played on a 3x2. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we wanted to make a very distinct um, uh, kind of setup because because there's there's quite a few rules um, in, in, this, in this section about how to clear buildings. Mm. We wanted to make sure that... Um, one thing we didn't really want to tempt players to do, even though there will be players out there to do it, is a six by four foot table of just buildings, more buildings, and slightly more buildings. And yeah, that'd be those, crazy. I'm definitely the, doing that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me neither. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the 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 ability to, I mean, it'll, it'll just be um, uh, an interestingly slow game. And one of the things that I, I I like to, always like to kind of remind players at the very beginning of these uh, when we're talking about city fights is 
when you add multiple lay layers to a table, you have to effectively think of that as like having another table on top of a table on top of a table on top of a table. Mm -hmm. So, um, so just like in real urban urban assaults, um, you need a lot more troops than you think you do, and um, and so like it, a builder will gobble up an entire company um, really easily. Like a, yeah. a, 12, a 12 inch by 12 inch building, well, you can put your entire company in it. Um, and when you think about that, because they're all all stacked up on top of each other and down and things, and when you think about like how much room you would have to cover in order to secure flanks and that kind of stuff, it doesn't really start, it, it becomes really difficult to do a full table using just your usual 100 points. So even, um, so the suggestion that we have here is um, feel free to use these buildings and on a six by four table, but just use all of the normal existing kind of building rules. So, but don't don't you know don't use any of these inner city fighting um, rules because you'll bog down your games um, and uh, for no, for very little game. So the the idea of the inner city battle though is that you want to kind of focus that down a bit. You want to cut down um, on on the extra size. So we kind of we suggest up to a four by four um, table for this one. So we don't want to prescribe specifically a four by four. So you can do the emissions themselves are a two by three, as we said earlier, um, and they're kind of set up to be uh, um, they're they're designed to kind of give you the ability to do some city fighting by with just by buying two intact buildings or buying two buildings. You just need two buildings, throw them on the table. You can play on a very small uh, space, um, a dining room table or something like that, um, and actually have a little extra room around to um, to put your troops um, off to the side. And um, but you can play up to four by fours just as easily. So that and the four by four is when you start. You know, you take um, four buildings or six buildings, you know, about, about one about one building per kind of uh, square foot is kind of. Um, we kind of want to go for a, a good proper density, but um, but every time you add a building, you just have to kind of consider what that's adding to your game um, yeah. by doing that. And so it does require a little bit of just a little bit of forethought in terms of what do I really want to get out of this out of this out of this um, battlefield that I'm setting up. So in the old days, it's in, or in any other game, it's it's important how you set up terrain. It's doubly so with these kind of inner city kind of battles, these fights and stuff. I mean, it's a bit like I, I play a lot of games of Bocage, and mm. uh, Bocage looks great, but in the end, we just end up playing kind of like I think uh, an old WPD post or they talk about on the podcast about kind of playing Bocage light because mm. it just slowed the game down quite a bit, having yeah. you know to to move up to stop and then. The, week, the course of the field would always be slightly more than six inches, so you'd, you'd get over it, and then you wouldn't yeah. quite make the second blockage, then have to stop. And it just added yeah. a lot. I say, it adds, I mean, it looked cool, and it, you know, it was very thematic having to having to slow you down, but actual enjoyment of gameplay, it was quite short. Whereas, you see, this one, where, is just, I mean, I, I say, I was talking to the guys on our on chat on, the, on Break for Assault, and it was just saying that, you know, you just need two buildings and probably some other scatter terrain, you're done. Mm -hmm. It's quite a yeah. quick buy in. It's not like you've got to buy, you know, as you know, like sixteen of these buildings to get a proper city fight board, which you know is going to be a big investment of money and time. It's a couple of buildings, some scattered yep. terrain, go. Um, yeah, a lot of people. I, don't... I, sorry? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to uh, say a lot of people don't like um, painting terrain so much. So, no. and you, and you will have to paint these buildings. They come. I'm, they'll come as just normal plastic. Buildings, so yeah. I love painting terrain. Back when uh, back in my GW days, when I was uh, a, a staffy, I I used to. 
be the train guy for the shop, so I, I don't mind. I'm, I'm yeah, no. neither do I, uh, but I do know that yeah. there are people out there. Oh, <laughs> that are like, definitely. Eh. It becomes definitely. a barrier, so that's why keeping uh, those building numbers are down, down is good. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, the fact that all the, miss- all the missions basically, as you describe, city fight, the most important thing really is the buildings. That's mm-hmm. kind of what you're fighting for. So, you know, it's, um, yeah. you know, as you you'd probably expect, it, the objectives pretty much always go in the buildings. Uh, there's some funky rules in there. And, and the other thing's going to, it's going to open up some units you wouldn't normally probably see on a normal frames table, which also become mm-hmm. really good in city fight. Uh, like we already talked about the infantry guns, which uh, all basically if you hit basically every every person in uh, the room that you're in. Yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of got like an uh, exploding just, dice mechanic, which kind of like. Goes. Oh, I love, yeah. <laughs> uh, so just to quickly cover uh, kind of some of the rules. So uh, some of the things I like is the fact that although the buildings are ruined, that says in there's like walls missing. Mm-hmm. Makes it very clear that's really just so you can get your hand in. <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> for gameplay purposes, the walls are there. It's yeah. just, uh, you know, if you have a fully intact building, it's very hard to play. Mm-hmm. Yes, that that was a. We decided very quickly that there is. You have to kind of accept a, a, a level of abstractness with mm-hmm. um, these, and 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 it really is accessibility to your minute models is one, um, and uh, and just simplicity in in getting it done. So it's kind of the the main concept behind the rules is you. Each room um, and and kind of the rooms above it are are kind of like a bucket, if you will. Mm. <laughs> if you, if so, like in 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 this particular in in all of our examples and and the way the models models are designed is um, they're kind of uh, each building has about four rooms in it, but it doesn't have to be that. It can be more than that. It can be less than that if it wants to be. But each room um, is kind of like a bucket where troops can occupy multiple levels within that bucket and and then you just when you're when you're launching assaults and stuff like that you have to think of it not so much as team versus team but room versus room and um we kind of made sure that it's uh uh, you're not where where the teams are in that room doesn't really matter so you're not like blocking uh doors and stuff like that you're just kind of like um this room is engaging this room they're throwing grenades in they're doing shooting over each other whatever it's it's pandemonium in there um but just yeah, it's it's room versus room rather than team versus team, and the consequences, of course, are are, are team death. So you just you, you only try to clear a room, um, and uh, if you fail, then um, then you're not you'll lose the room that you launched your attack from, but um, but you but you don't gain the, the room <laughs> you tried to take. So you're kind of like fighting over um, across like walls and through walls and and uh, openings and stuff like that. So. Um, but yeah, the big concept to take away from this whole section is it's you got to think of the rooms as container versus container, room versus room, um, and then yeah, you should be able to do uh, waltz your way through pretty easily. Yeah, and yeah, and it it's one of those things. So uh, like again, we're chatting about yeah, you know, having played other things that have tried doing city fight. I was find generally speaking, it can fit into two criteria either. It ends up being so light, it doesn't really make a difference if you're fighting in the city, or it mm-hmm. come, just adds this extra massive layer of complication to the game that's very unneeded. Whereas mm-hmm. this seems to be nicely in the middle, where you've, you've kept the themes there, the, the rules are fairly straightforward, but do add to that kind of, as you say, it's, once you're in a building, you're literally going room, you're fighting room to room, you did, no measuring really needed, mm-hmm. once you're yeah. in the building, it's just, yeah, they're in, they're in this room, they're going to assault that room. And you just do yeah. it, and um, 
Well, I mean, same with the buckets. Obviously, it's literally the whole kind of bucket of that one room and all the rooms above it. Mm-hmm. Then sort, then sort the one of the other one attaching rooms. Um, yeah, I think it's yeah. It it just they say it just takes a lot of complication out of it. You don't have to worry about two inches, especially when you've got like you want to make the buildings look good. You got rubble down. Your bases mm-hmm. probably aren't. Your bases are probably moving around slightly anyway. So yep. trying to make sure that your model's like exactly two inches away or exactly this is is going to be a lot harder. So yeah. just take just just take it out. And yeah, yeah. Re- as we were saying earlier, just accessibility to miniatures is one thing, but yeah. also like getting measuring tape in there or or some yeah. sort of tool. It's, it's just uh, I don't know. Like I, I was I was always knocking and knocking the walls down and stuff like that. We just decided, you know what, this is ridiculous. We need to. Simplify this. Just think, consider it room to room, because that's yeah. when you read the when you read the accounts of how these buildings were cleared. It was room to room, um, and that's kind of how they really um, uh, described it and, and and stuff. So yeah, I think that's uh, we just have to keep that as quick and as generally intuitive as possible. Mm. And I genuinely think this this is you've done that's uh, been a good job of it. Um, obviously, you know, let's say you've got. Um, Get your German or Russian friend if you haven't got one buying both books so you can play all four mm-hmm. missions. Uh, I'd say we've got a, we're gonna have a series post on it at some point soon. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, just on the couple of quick uh, kind of special rules for it. Uh, so you got across the, across the Volga's back. Yep. Which basically means I mean if it does make sense, I'll say we can't set up on the ta- answer up on the table, but you know they're off the table. Yeah. Uh, it can on the boards being so small, it really makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, well, for a while we did we did allow them to be deployed on the table, and we just it looks fine on paper, but at the end of the day, it, when you actually get them on the table, it's, it's way too yeah. much stuff. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, and so yeah, and uh, then you have got the outpost rule, which is uh, basically you flip the the reserves, so mm-hmm. uh, you may not deploy more than forty percent to be forced, rather than forty percent of force must be in reserve. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think I want to say off the top of my head, there's one mission where both the attacker and defender has that rule, yeah. and then there's two missions where the defender has the rule. So um, yeah, yeah. It's, again, it just uh, you know because these are small outposts. You, don't, you, you know, one of us reading uh, reading up on uh, was it Pavlos? Is Pavlos house? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and um, sorry, it's more pronunciation, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it talks about points. There was only like forty men in the building, and then yeah. when it came down to it, then very quick, quickly they could get troops in there to make it up to like one hundred twenty, two hundred men at times, depending on casualties and stuff like that. And yeah. um, you know, yeah, you know, it's a big city you're fighting. If you're going to be sitting there with hundreds of men at the same time, where especially, yeah. especially when it's such a small area, you can quickly move people around. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. Like with your eight-inch move for your infantry now, you can kind of get anywhere <laughs> on the table yeah. in a couple turns. So. Um, yeah, they're quite Just, dynamic and quick, quick missions. And I imagine people can talk about, obviously, these rules would be quite usable if you want to do um, Arnhem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, the, um, the, all, all four missions were kind of designed, they were they obviously had took an inspiration from a moment in Stalingrad, but mm. they're, they're definitely designed to be, uh, these are four different ways of taking or holding a building, um, and we wanted to make sure that they're uh, universal. You can use them in Arnhem, you could use them in uh, anywhere, uh, even if you have different style of buildings, you could, they could be like Rome or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Rome, um, yeah, Khan, I guess, could be quite a good another one. Yes, yep. And, yep. yeah, yeah, uh, um, yeah, and to say that's um, it's quite an exciting new sort of way of 
think of um, of playing the game. And one of the things I always love is the options. Um, it's like everyone try the fog or war cards, which I've not not tried yet. Just adding mm-hmm. something a bit, different variations to various things. Yep. But yeah, cool. So that's obviously that is um, enemy at the gates and um, Iron Cross. Obviously, we've got uh, Ghost Panzer and um, I didn't mention, but I think again going by the uh, going by this book here, uh, Red Banner. That's right. Which yep, is, Red Banner. Uh, the, the next uh, the next two books. Um, I, I can edit this out if we're not allowed to talk about it. Uh, have we got a rough ETA <laughs> on uh, on them, or well, is it still very uh, much a fluid situation? <laughs> we um, we design a lot of the lists at the same time, um, but yeah. there's still a bit of development that's going on at the moment. So we got some testing that we're doing on some um, uh, other units that uh, weren't designed at the same time. Um, so. The whole process is still kind of ongoing, and we're hoping to get it, um, hoping to get that off to the printer pretty soon. Not, not particularly um, sure on the actual dates. <laughs> no, that's, that's fair. I say, and there's, I mean, all fairness, there's a lot of stuff to come out with uh, the power books, the uh, the the pack add-on for Team Yankee, and a couple other things. That's probably as as good time. I think we've, we've basically rounded up anyway. So, uh, Mike, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Yeah. Thanks for and, thanks for having me. Yeah. And <laughs> I would say I'm sure once uh, once Red, Red Banner and uh, Ghost Pans is on, we might have to grab you on again. Yep, we'll happily do that. Sure. Cool. Yeah. And uh, I hope you enjoy this, guys. <laughs> the other train wreck of a podcast you've been listening to was Shooting Scoop, the Flanagan <laughs> podcast from the team of Breakthrough Assault. I was brought to you by support from Battlefield Hobbies and the hashtag Intercontinental Hobby. <laughs> <laughs>